subject next week, we've got a family service. Next week's really important, actually, um, because we're going to be talking about mission and what does that mean as a church to be on mission and the involvement of our next generation and sharing what mission is to our kids. It's going to be a big part of it. So come excited about what God's going to do. We're going to be sharing stories of what is going to happen or things that have happened, um, that as a church we've been on mission together. Uh, and I just feel that there's something about inspiring our next generation to say, come on, take the baton of mission forward as well. It's going to be really good fun. So anyway, small plug about next week. But what are we doing this week? Well, this year, the kind of tagline for the vision has been knowing God better. And Ephesians has really helped us in that. The Week in Away really helped us in that, talking about fellowship. But when you ask that question about knowing God better, the question for me was, well, how? How do you do that? How do you actually practically get to know God better? It's a really important question that we are not just looking at the theological stance of why we should get to know God better, but how do we actually do that as well? And so as we're heading towards the middle of the year, I just want to spend time unpacking that question because it's fundamentally crucial to understand how we do that as we understand our walk with God better. Let's do the maths, right? We, we worship and we spend time together around about two hours on a Sunday. Three hours if you like to leave late. But two hours on a Sunday, we spend time together out of a 168-hour week. That's around about 2% of our week that we've got together. So the question is, what about the 98%? What about that? What does that look like? What does that kind of feel like in terms of giving a life dedicated to God, getting to know God better. Kind of get often labelled as a devotional time or devotional life. And that's really what I want to look at today. Kind of hope I'm not really covering any deep theological ground, to be honest with you. I hope this is stuff that we all kind of know, but I hope what my aim is, is to poke in certain areas well, in a way to just kind of go, what does it look like for you? This, this morning is meant to be me just unpacking the word and for you to reflect and go, yeah, how am I doing this? Treat it as a kind of MOT. Treat it as a check to kind of go, how am I doing on this journey of actually getting to know God better? And what does it look like outside of just a Sunday setting? That's my aim. Yeah, so that's, that's where we're going. So here's the journey, right? This is kind of where we're going. We're, we need to understand the context of what a devotional life is. What is that actually? Then I'm going to just share three traps of mind that I think is easy for us to fall into and three encouragements, hopefully with some practical bits of just how we can do this together. And then we're going to end with singing. I think there's no better way for us to just end our time together with just singing more together and just seeing what the Holy Spirit wants to do. You up for that? It's warm, so I'm going to need your help here, right? Like Otherwise, you're going to fall asleep. I'm going to fall asleep. It's not going to work well. Are we up for that? Yeah, just, you're not going to fall asleep? It's happened before. Okay. Right, let's start. What's the context of a dev devotional life? I think even with that phrasing, this ends up being mistaken about just basically actions. Reading your Bible more. Praying more. How often do you listen to worship music? How often do you talk about Jesus? You kind of have already the measuring sticks of how often do you do X, Y, and Z to do with Christianity. Though these actions that are part of a devotional life, if we start with actions rather than motivation, we remove context and heart completely. So we can't start with actions. We can't start there. We need to slightly step back. The reason why is because we also end up making inappropriate assumptions and turning everything into rules rather than having reason for relevancy for relationship, a lot of us. So let's rewind a little bit, and just understand what is a devotional life? Where is it? Where it's a life of love or loyalty for someone or something that gets outpoured both in action and communication. Let me repeat that. It's a life of love and loyalty for someone or something that gets outpoured both in action and communication. Some people, ooh, my notes, some people have a devotional life about Football, it's kind of what they talk about, it's what they are focused in, it's what they often think about, it's what they often Google about. Some people have a devotional life about work, 
Everything that you do surrounds and revolves around what you do for a living, what you do for work. In a sense, when I was to ask you, who are you, what do you do? The first thing you would say is, I do this for work. It's based on your identity. Some people have a devotional life about Netflix. What's the next show to watch? What's the next thing you're going to watch in the evening? What trashy TV are you going to net, kind of what show are you going to watch next? You can have a devotional life about things, or you can have a devotional life about people. So what does a devotional life about God look like? Well, it's having a life and livelihood in relationship with God and in constant communication with him. In a sense, another way of putting it is walking with God daily, walking side by side with him. It comes from an understanding right at the core of Christianity, which is a relationship with God. What does that relationship mean? If you want to give an example, I've got one. Jesus, that's helpful. He modeled it perfectly. Jesus modeled walking with God perfectly. Displayed in Mark 1 and John 15. Jesus, in fact, instructed how to do it in Matthew 6 in the Sermon of the Mount. He instructed how to pray, seclude, pray, be with your God, be with your Father. Talks about how you kind of study the Father, study the Word. Jesus from a young age, study the Word to get to know the Father. When his parents were trying to find him, where was Jesus? In my Father's house. Consistently throughout his entire life, Jesus modeled what a devotional life was. This deep relationship with the Father. Jesus says in John 14, I only do that the Father does. I only say what the Father says. Three things we kind of see in this intimacy that Jesus modeled. One is a real, genuine intimacy with God. This deep closeness. Two, consistent communication with God. He's regularly talking with the Father. It's not kind of just, I pray and amen and now we're done, right? Let's move away. No, it's a consistent communication. Thirdly, a complete dependency on God as his Father. Utter dependency on God. Nothing else. For example, John 5, 19 to 20. says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater work than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Jesus, from the beginning of his ministry, said, I only do as I see the Father does. And so I need to get to know what the Father does to do what I need to do. It's the only way. So what's the point of a devotional life? Well, the Christian life is a life of absolute devotion to God. It cannot be anything else. The Christian life has to be a life of devotion. And if not, it does question the desire of wanting to follow God. If you're a Christian, a devotional life is paramount. It's the utmost of importance. You cannot say, I'm a Christian, and then put that as secondary. A devotional life is the consistent walking with God, saying, I want to follow him, and I want to walk with him, and therefore I will do so. So this topic of how not only knowing God better, but how do we do that has to be one of the most important things we talk about regularly. There's no other substitute. There's my context. It helps, right? It helps just understand the importance of it. Okay. So about three potential traps of thinking. When thinking about a devotional life, thinking about kind of your own walk with God, your own alone time with God. First one. I don't get much out of it, so I don't do it. Look, it's, it's, it's a reality. This probably as well. This is probably stuff that I've thought about. So this is me being honest of things that have been traps that I've fallen into. I don't get much out of it, so I don't do it. I think this is coming from a place of consistently needing a result. But truthfully, it's a short-term, it's a short-term goal. However, we're talking about life here. We're talking about life, which is long-term. It's, it's not just a short-term goal. 
Also, how are you coming to God? Are you coming to God just wanting something out of it? Just, just wanting kind of a deliveroo type God of, of typing in your order and sending it off and expecting God just to kind of give you your order back. Is that what you're expecting from God? Not the fact that if you come to God knowing you will be fed. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer it says, give us our daily bread. Why? Because there is a promise and assurance that he will give us our daily bread. Therefore, aren't you assured that he will provide you what you need on that day? Aren't you certain about it? I think the other reason why this becomes a pitfall is because we actually forget who God really is. We kind of forget who God actually is. If everything is consumeristic, therefore the need of a relationship is something that just feeds us rather than something that sustains us. That's kind of what we treat relationship. It's just that relationship works for me because that feeds me, not actually something that sustains me. It's a consistent thing. Even more so by doing that, we, we remove the divinity and sovereignty of God and put him into a position of our own desire. Part of this year is to open up our eyes to really see who God actually is. Who he really, really is. And I wonder how easy it is for us to neglect the fact and put God in a position that is beneath him. Do we actually give him the titles he deserves? Or we just, do we just kind of casually call him a mate and a friend without remembering his divinity and sovereignty in that? Philippians 2 says that Jesus humbled himself to be exalted the reason why Jesus came so that we could be united with God, so that we could keep our eyes to glorify him, not so Jesus would come be at our level and stay at our level. No, no, he wanted to reveal the glory of God through Jesus for us to lift up our gaze at him, not just to kind of catch and go like, yeah, he's the same as us. I think it's really important we don't forget just, just the awe of God. And as you read through the Bible, you see many titles that he has, many names that he has, many things that he's done for him to be glorified. Let's just look at one of them. Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God is a creator God. He created all things. And for him. It wasn't just through him alone. It's for him. For him to be honored. For him to be glorified. For him to be lifted high. I mean, if you think about Genesis where, where it says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. To glorify God. When he said, let there be earth. And then suddenly there was earth to glorify God. Therefore, I can say in the same breath. He said, let there be Sanjeev. And there I was to glorify God. It's the same thing. If he created you through him, for him, you are created to glorify God. That's part of your purpose. It's in your DNA to do so. So why wouldn't I spend time to be with my creator? We sung it before. Why wouldn't I be with the one who gave me breath and determines whether I take the next one? Why wouldn't I spend time with him? Why wouldn't I get to know him? If we forget God's divinity and sovereignty, we misplace his authority and dismiss the privilege that is his gracious, gracious approachability. It is by his grace that we can approach the throne. It is not by works or efforts. And so the claim was saying, I don't get much out of it, I think is a straw man claim. I think it's a false claim because we forget actually who he really is. Trap one. Trap two, one that I've fallen in a few times. We don't have enough time. 
We don't have enough time to spend time with God. We can do the math, really, to see how much time we actually have. We could put conditions on this. Like I've got to take kids here. I've got to do this work. And I've got this late meeting. And I need time for myself to relax and unwind. And Netflix has got a new movie out. That's quite good. Like we, we try and put conditions on our diary to segment it up. The problem is when we even start contemplating time in this way. The issue is with this thinking is that we segment God into a box that is suitable for only certain times. Which means where we are in life, we either let guilt in because we're too busy and life demands it, or we give other things priority and we justify it. The Bible makes it clear we walk with God. We walk with him. It's a continuous process of daily walking. We are to seclude. We're to be alone with, with God. Jesus modeled that many, many times. We are to seclude and be with him, be alone with our Father. It's not about having enough time, but how we use the time we have effectively that matters. We each have different capacities in time. Every single one of us. Hey, if you're a 20-year-old working, you have different capacity to a, a mum with young, you know, a baby, to a different person who has a parent with teenagers that have got every other sport that's going on, a different capacity to kids who have left home and gone to university, different to kids who have grown up and got married, different to if you're single and you don't have any kids. We all have different capacity. So the question isn't about why haven't you got enough capacity? The question is, with what the capacity you have, how are you walking with God? That's the question. And honestly, I think sometimes we slightly lie to ourselves that we use our time in the way that we should, rather than actually spend time with our Father. Truth be told, my relationship with God in the private is great in spring and autumn. It's so good in spring and autumn. Because it's easy to get up and go, to get out of bed. But in winter or in summer, the idol of bed takes over. I love the bed sheets. Like, I love the blanket. Like, that's, that, the idol of that takes over. Either because it's too cold that you don't want to get out of bed, or it's too hot so you don't want to move. You know the song, we give you the highest praise you deserve it all you know that song yeah and winter and summer for me is we give you the highest praise from being asleep staying in bed like that's that's my song during that times because truthfully i'm going oh it's too cold i'd rather just sleep that's why i need to rest before the day i end up lying to myself and justifying how i'm using my time in my way rather than actually saying i do have capacity and it belongs to him our hearts will give the most time to the idol or God we want it to. In fact, our time depicts what sits really on the throne of our heart. So truthfully, if it genuinely is important to us, we will use the time that we can when we can to spend time with our Father. Second trap. Third trap, I think. It's hard to know where to start and what's enough. It's hard to know when to start and what's enough. Truthfully, as someone who uh, is a <laughs> fast-paced worker, this one's a hard one for me. Because I often kind of put myself in like an exam question type style and be like, does this kind of qualify enough time for you, God? Like, are you happy with, with this kind of moment? Like, does this, do I get 70%? Like on this test of devotion, like that's, that's kind of what I end up doing. And I, and I think this is a really fair argument with two drivers behind it. I think one, I think is just being consistently disappointed when trying to spend time with God before and having failed continuously or really struggled with it. For example, some of us do Bible in a year or we listen to kind of worship music on playlists and when it gets 10, you're 10 days late on your Bible reading plan, five days in, like you're already kind of just disappointed with great guilt, like you're not really catching up. Or 
you listen to music and some artist plays and you're just like, what on earth is this? And suddenly your mind gets distracted by that. I think we end up falling into a, a false lie of just getting either distracted or guilty when we actually try and give it a go. I think the second driver for this is because I think some of us might not even know how to approach a relationship. In particular, a relationship with a father. I think some of us actually just don't know. In a sense, the relationship with a father has either been removed or misused. And the idea of coming to a heavenly father is just bonkers. It just doesn't make sense. And so the fact that you hear at church saying, come to your heavenly father, you're like, yeah, but I don't even know what that means. That just hurts. I don't even get that. Though being a fair argument, I think it does fail completely. As it's based on assumption, whereas we're called to be persistent. Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer, did not become Michael Phelps when he was born. He was not the Olympian when he was born. Michael Phelps became the Olympian when he put in years of practice. He put in effort. He put in hard work. He put in growth to become the Olympian. Our minds, from the beginning, are ingrained in one way. For what we take as earthly truth, that often is a bunch of lies. For example, relationships don't change. A relationship with a father is going to be similar to any other relationship with a heavenly father or another person. Or if something is too hard, just give up and do something else that is better. Like, be willing to just change continuously, because that's, that's what work is. You can move from one job to another. You can have that churn. If it's not giving you enough money, if it's not giving you enough things, just change what you're doing and do something else. I think we end up believing a whole bunch of earthly truths. However, the Bible tells us not to think like that. Romans 12 verse 1 says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, i.e. learn and understand what is genuinely true. What does your heavenly father say? The world will capture our attention more and more. I think we've ended up saying that in different ways over the last few weeks, that our attention is always being fought for. It's part of the battle and therefore we need to learn to be persistent in being resistant. We've got to learn how to say no to things that are lies and say yes to our Heavenly Father. Therefore, where to start is at least with something. Start somewhere and keep building at it. Give yourself a bit of grace. Keep working at it. Investing into it because you're not investing into a process. You're investing into a relationship. You're not investing into a check sheet. You're investing into time with a father who wants to spend time with you. That's what you're investing into. Okay, we've looked at some pitfalls. I hope this has been helpful. I hope this has kind of poked in some of the areas that you might have felt yourself. Let's not leave us there. What about some encouragement? How do we do this? Three bits of encouragement. Number one, savor, not snack. I am terrible at snacking. I'm so bad. Probably the reason why I do youth work, because you just bring snacks and everyone eats. Like it's just it's normal. But I always at home want to eat something unhealthy. Just full of fat, near to nothing of nourishment, and just keep eating at it. It's what snacking does. Popcorn is one of my biggest Achilles heels, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's one of my biggest Achilles heels. Because I'm just like, popcorn's a healthy snack. And then you put salt, butter, and sugar on it. I make good popcorn, all right? But you put all this stuff on it, and you're just like, all, that, all the nutrition, or all that kind of healthy snack has gone out the window. However, if you give me a great meal, like a big roll of, bowl of ramen or laksa, I will be a content man for the rest of the day. And you will be hearing things from me being like, wow, wasn't it so good? Wasn't the flavors amazing? Didn't they make the stock well to make the dish? Like, oh, I should stop. I'm already getting hungry. Okay. But you end up just thinking, like, I end up thinking about, like, the cooking of it and how do you make it. And I'm just savoring the meal I've just had. I'm full. I don't want anything else to ruin that. I'm savoring the meal that I've had. 
I think we accidentally put devotional time with God as a snack while actually treating it as a full meal that to savor. I think time with God should be a nourishing meal that we just deeply enjoy. Time on the phone is a snack. It's just, you end up having it. You end up being on it, you put it away, and you're like, oh, I might want to just be pinged again. Oh, let's go on social media again. Trashy TV, it's a snack. You just watch it, and you're like, oh, that, that episode was great. Why don't we watch another one? It's a snack. Self-image, it's a snack. How do I look? How do I feel? How, do I, how am I dressing in a way that everyone else can notice me? Self-deprecation, putting yourself down. Really enough, is a snack. I can't do this, I'm not good enough. That mindset keeps on coming back and back and back. I think sometimes these things we put as a meal, we keep them at the forefront of our mind rather than realizing, no, they're not helpful to us at all. They're all snacks. Snacks are addictive and do nothing for the body. Being on our phone will not help your body. In fact, it would be quite the opposite. (laughs) Watching a whole bunch of trashy TV will do nothing for your body apart from it will distract you. Worrying about your self-image time and time again will do nothing for your body. It will do no nourishment for your body. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? That's what I mean by defining it as a snack. It's not something that we should focus on or try and get a feeding from. No, no, we should be feeding on something that's going to help us dine well. We should savor the Savior. That's really where we should be coming to, to be fed. It satisfies us. God has been providing nourishment for his people for literally generations. All the way from the beginning of the Bible, he's been feeding his people. Literally with manna. Like, if you want me to give you a better example, I can't. Literally, he gave them food. And so he's been nourishing his people time and time again. Therefore, he will nourish you if you spend time with him time and time again and it's not to be rushed hey if you were to go to a five-star michelin restaurant you're not gonna rush it it's not mackie d's it's not it's not mcdonald's of going in and out and just being like right let's done it's not that you want to savor that you want to enjoy every single course you want to enjoy every single bite it's worth the time surely god is worth the time to savor surely There cannot be anything better than being alone to pray, to be in your word, to be in relationship with God. And if there is, then we've misplaced something else as an idol. That is the reality. If there is something better than being in the Father's presence, then we've misplaced that other thing. John Piper puts it like this. John, um, God's omnipotent exuberance To do us good is one of the most freeing discoveries a human can make. Oh, that we might believe it and savor it and bring it to mind again and again. Why don't we look at the Bible, what what the Bible says about spending time with God. Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 1 Peter 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Just a practical tip. If you just don't know where to start and you're not sure, start reading verses a day than chowing down on chapters. To start reading verses a day than chowing down on chapters. Start small. Just to savor the words. Meditate. That's what Psalm says. Meditate on the word of God. Just read little, bit by bit. And as you get more used to it, then increase your diet. If I gave Judah... My boy, actually, this is hear the example of what it is, not for the reality of how my boy likes to eat. If I gave Judah the same plateful that I would eat, he wouldn't be able to finish it. Apparently, this is what I was told. Um, he wouldn't be able to finish it. 
When he was a newborn baby, his stomach was the size of a golf ball. We couldn't feed him everything that we're meant to give him. As he grows up, his stomach expands, his diet expands. Same here. If you don't, where to, don't know where to start, don't try reading a whole book, a whole chapter. Start with a few verses. And as your diet expands, you can then continue on that journey. Corinthians says move from, we want people to move from milk to bread. In the same way, you've got to start with milk to move to bread. To start with something small. If you're not sure where to start, start with one of the Gospels. Read about your Savior. Or start with one of the New Testament letters like Philippians. And pair it with Psalms. We're going to come up to Psalms in a bit. But read something that you can just buy a size to. Is that helpful? Yes. Yeah, okay, good. Well, that's good. That's not a waste of time. Good. Okay. Secondly, secondly, kind of worship is the centrality of devotion. Dave Holden, truthfully, I've nicked this title completely from him because this is one of the biggest things Dave Holden, who leads the apostolic sphere, talks about greatly. Worship is the centrality of devotion. Jesus did not stop worshipping. He continually looked to give glory to the Father. In Ephesians, we've had two times already where Paul basically ends up in exuberance and exaltation in absolute worship to God. It's as if he can't help himself and starts writing, then he suddenly just has great exaltation to God because of how he sees the Father. Jesus' focus was not even on himself. Let that sink in for a second. Our Savior's focus was not even on himself. It was completely on the Father, looking to the Father. We are not the focus of worship. I'm sorry to say that. (laughs) When it happens on Sunday mornings or when it happens outside, we are not the focus of our worship time. It's not about us. I often find it funny on social media when people would rather take a selfie of a beautiful location (laughs) than that beautiful location itself or just enjoying the beauty of it in that moment. It's like we need kind of proof that we being there is better than the moment itself or better than the view itself. I wonder if Jesus was here, would you take a photo to put, uh, would you take a selfie to put on social media? Or would you just enjoy it? Like if Jesus was here, would you all kind of, would we take our phones and try and get a selfie with Jesus to kind of just show that we met him? Or would you just enjoy being with him? I wonder that. When was the last time you enjoyed meaningful time alone with God? Wherever that might be. Wherever that might be. It doesn't, I'm not just talking about in a room. Wherever that is. In a car. Going for a walk. Commuting. Wherever that might be. When was the last time you enjoyed meaningful time alone with God? Time so good that you didn't want it to stop. That you didn't want to leave it. If it was just you reading God's word in his holy presence. Psalm 34, verse 1, I was reading it today, I should have added it, it said, I will bless the Lord in all circumstances. It says verse 2 and verse 3, my soul makes it boast in the Lord, let the humble hear and be glad, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. It's not just about singing songs on a Sunday. In fact, Sunday should be an outpouring of the worship that is consistently happening during the week. What happens in the private fuels what happens in the public. So if we are magnifying something else all throughout the week, and on Sunday we're coming, it's not really a surprise if we're struggling to connect. Right? That is not really a surprise. If throughout all the 166 hours we're magnifying something else, and there's two hours we come and we're like, oh, worship didn't really hit. Well, obviously. Because we're magnifying something else. We're lifting our praises to something else. Because in our private, something else gets our focus. Rather than in the private, we are fixated on God. So when we're public together, we're worshipping together. What happens in the private fuels what happens in the public. How are you taking joy consistently in worship, both in the private 
and the public. Hey, if you don't like the song that is happening on Sunday morning, if it doesn't really connect with you, if you don't like the rhythm or the beat, don't let the enemy steal your thought. Don't switch off. Don't let the enemy take that away. Uh, a great preacher guy called Pete Briscoe, he, he kind of described this, and he had an older lady come to him and said, said exactly the same thing, and he said, why don't you choose someone who is engaging in prayer? And she described it afterwards by saying, now I love it when they play songs I don't like. <laughs> I love it when they play songs that are too loud, because I get to pray for my fellow brothers and sisters here, and I get to just encourage them where they're at. I want to encourage the same. If, if you are having a song, if it's too loud, or if it's not really one that you like connecting with, hey, don't switch off. Connect with your father. Maybe pray for someone else here. It's a family enjoying worship and therefore see what God wants to do through that. How are you allowing your faith to increase through worship? How is worship central to your daily life, to allowing your strength to be renewed, to allowing your stamina to be refreshed? I think when I am finding myself <coughs> tired, the last thing I do is worship because I'm done in that moment. But as soon as I worship, my stamina and my soul is just started to be refreshed. And I'm able to continue just walking with God by playing even some music. There's something it does to the song. The song's painted across the whole time. So practical help. Read the Psalms. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, he said, Psalms is the only book in the Bible that are full of words that speak for us when we don't have the words to speak. I'm so grateful the Psalms is in the Bible. It gives me the words to say. It's songs full of devotion continuously to our Heavenly Father. Additionally, just during times where you're kind of secluded alone, just a practical thing. Choose songs that you can either soak in worship for Worship, um, words or without words, or songs that turn your attention to God and take them off yourself. Just a really practical thing. Yeah, so choose songs well. Preload songs that are going to happen. Start, you know, if you have a Spotify, create a playlist and put in it songs that take your eyes and lift them on God rather than having them on yourself. There's some great as well worship without words playlist. You can just have in the background and you can just soak it. Why do I say that? Because I just think that if we give up our time well, we're then not getting distracted in it. Kind of the, the preparation for our alone time helps the actual alone time. So just prepare well. If you prepare for a work meeting, right? Like I've got a um, I've got a presentation I've got to do this week. I'm preparing for that presentation to make sure that presentation goes well. How much more important is my time with my father? I need to prepare well for time with him so that I can just enjoy him and I can focus on that. So for example, I love Christian rap. I love LeBray. Like I really enjoy him. I love Andy Video. Like I really love these artists. Most of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I love these artists. They're great. I love KB. Like I really love these artists. But if I listen to them during my devotional time, I'll get so distracted. I'll listen to the music, I'll listen to that, I wouldn't really spend time with my father. So choose songs, that means that you're not going to get distracted by it. But you can just be in awe of him. Okay, last point. Just hopefully you've been covered. Proximity over performance. Proximity over performance. As I watched Judah grow up, I'm learning that I'm celebrating in literally everything he does. I kind of shouting, shared this today already, which helpful confirmation, right? So I'll just celebrate everything my boy does. However, my love for him hasn't changed based on how well he does things. It grows by him just being him. Yes, I'm celebrating progress. Yes, I'm celebrating him walking and talking more. I'm celebrating that. But my love as a father, is driven for a place that just wants to celebrate him, not because he's doing more. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah? So his progress is not what I'm celebrating in the same way. I'm celebrating that his progress is increasing as I celebrate him first. 
The driver for it is I'm celebrating my boy. How much more does a heavenly father celebrate in you rather just your progress alone? Yes, he celebrates in our progress. Yes, he celebrates and says, well done, good and faithful servant. He celebrates in progress. But he's celebrating you, not because you need progress to earn more of his love. Your progress doesn't define how much love he gives. He loves you because he loves you, because he loves you. And because he loves you, he celebrates in your progress. That's the driver. The world celebrates progress. Our Father celebrates you. That's the difference. Therefore, part of a devotional life is just being at the Father's feet. Just being in his presence. My grandmother, we call her Machi, uh, which means grandma in, in Tamil. She would regularly ask each grandchild to come and sit in her office, sit on the sofa, she would sit next to us, and she would spend time individually as grandchildren. Just each one of us. And she would talk about a variety of things. She would kind of ask us how we're doing in life, how things are going. Normally, truthfully, she would always ask me, have you got a girlfriend? And I'm like, no, I haven't. I'm six. I don't have a girlfriend. Good. Give it a laugh. Do your 25. Like, she would just give loving advice. Like, she would just be caring. She would invest in relationship. She would cheekily give us like ice creams as we just sit next to her and just be with her and enjoy that relationship. God wants time alone with you to invest in your relationship with him. There's no substitute for that. It's not a meeting that you can gather with a whole four or five and kind of just do that. No, we need to do that gathering time. But it's more important we do that by ourselves as well. The proximity and closeness cannot be underestimated. It can't be replaced. And like I said, it doesn't matter where that might be. You've just got to be alone with him. Make the time. Francis Chan, who truthfully, if you don't want to be challenged about devotional life, don't listen to Francis Chan. Yeah, if you don't want to be challenged, don't listen to him. However, <laughs> A quote he says is this, knowing Christ deeply consumed Paul, he takes that from Philippians 3, verse 8. There is no substitute for being alone with God. If you don't have time, you need to quit something to make room. Skip a meal, cancel a meeting, end some regular commitment. There is literally nothing more important you can do today. God literally determines whether or not you take another breath. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Could anything be more important than meeting with the one who decides if you live through this day? Could anything be better? How can we not make time to be with the maker of time? It's really important to recognize that it's your journey. Alone, you are called by God. Alone, you are chosen by God. Alone, we're called to be with God. If we get close with God individually, then our fellowship together will be motivated and encouraged through that. If I'm in love with my father, surely the love that he has for me is outpoured into the love I have for everyone else. To practical help, figure out in your diary when you can be alone. And if that's driving because you've got young kids, then that's your time. That's okay. Just want to just really felt a sense of releasing those. Actually, if you feel like you can't be alone in a room by yourself, be released. If your alone time is driving, that's okay. What you do with that time, make that matter. Don't turn on the radio. Hey, maybe don't even turn on Premier or UCB. Play a playlist of songs that you can just enjoy your father with. Cut out the talking. Just be with him. If you're normally, normally in evenings, if you just sit on your phone or you're watching a movie because the whole day has been mental, full of work, full of time with kids, carve out some of that time to say, instead of me just sitting on my phone, I'm just going to go be with God for a bit. Just carve out some time. Be practical with it. 
Okay, let me come into that. I hope you can really see the absolute importance of this. I hope you just feel just good coping areas. Just to say, man, yeah, we've got to really consider this as the utmost importance. But we're going to practically do something with worshiping. That's, I hope it's just going to help us. Here's a remarkable thing. The remarkable thing is that God is not an auditor to check whether everything is in order and the tick list of devotional time has been checked off. He is a father who wants to be with you, who loves the loving embrace of his child. J.I. Packer, the knowing God, says it like this. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but a larger fact that, that which underlies it. The fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palm of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as his friend, one who loves me and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracts me. And no moment, therefore, where his care falters. The motivation for any of us to do devotional life with God is because he wants time with you. In your Bibles, can you turn to Psalm 34 for me? Ben, if we can come back. So in your Bibles, it's too long to put it on the screen. So... If you've got your Bible, if you've got a phone, don't get distracted by social media, but turn to the Bible app on your phone, Psalm 34. What we're going to do, we're going to worship with two more songs. But before that, I just wanted to, I don't know, I felt stirred practically, maybe just to help us a little. Psalm 34, I hope you can see, I've quoted it a few times. I think it's a psalm full of great devotion to the living God's. It's kind of a psalm where David writes it right before. He basically writes it at Bibichet, like his son that's about to take over. And, uh, not his son, sorry, but he's, he's writing it to someone before David basically gets kicked out. He's basically warning, saying, taste and see that God is good. Work and lead from that place. Which I think is a really helpful psalm for us to just consider. Taste and see that the Lord is good because that's what we need to do in everyday life. So here's my instruction. This is what we're going to do. I hope this is okay. It's a bit different. I just want you to lovingly read the psalm for yourself. The band, they're just going to play. We're not going to sing just for a little bit. But I want you to read the psalm. <coughs> read it. And then read it again. And what we're going to do, for, I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, speak to your children. And as you read it, there might be one verse, one line, there might be one section that just suddenly jumps out. And if that's the case, I want you to just pray a simple prayer, which is, Father, why this today? This, by the way, is what devotional life and devotional time can look like. I just by by opening up the words, reading it and saying, okay, God, what do you want to say today? And so I just want to practically help us read the song. See what God wants to say. Write it down if it helps. And after a bit, we're going to sing two songs just to be in worship to our God. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, come speak to us right now, we pray. As we read these psalms, this psalm, God, come speak in power by that you may identify great truths for us just to kind of be captured by today. Say this in your holy name. Amen.
we're gonna we're gonna worship singing. Um, there's no obligation to stand. It's no obligation actually to move away. If there's something that you've been captured by in terms of reading the Psalms or something, hey, you can sit, you can kneel. This is time for us just to respond in devotion to our God. So if you would like to stand and do so, but if not, hey, you are enabled just to be with your God as you kind of sing these two songs in close. Thank you.